On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of the attacks that changed the world. Each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first-hand perspective on 9-11 and our nation's response. Here is one of those remarkable stories. All right, as we continue our 20 episodes in 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of 9-11, our guest today is Frank Peters. Frank's a retired Staten Island ferry captain. On the morning of 9-11, he was watching the Twin Towers as he captained the Staten, ferry, the Staten Island ferry across the water and saw the first tower explode. Later that day, he helped evacuate people from Manhattan and ferried first responders back and forth. Uh, Frank has been a Legion member since 1990. He served as post commander at Gold Star Post 1356 in Staten Island, New York in 1998 and was the department commander in 2014-2015. Mr. Peters, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Very happy to be here. Thank you, Mark. So tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit about your 9-11 experience starting that morning and however long it, it went into the night. Right. So, you know, I think I have one of the coolest jobs in the world being a Staten Island ferry boat captain. Staten Island is the second largest uh, ferry in the world behind the Washington State ferry system. And, um, you know, there were 17 captains. I just felt very special to be amongst that group. And I love my job, you know, and, and the morning of September 11th was a beautiful day. There was not a cloud in the sky. It was a beautiful morning. I usually start at like 5.30 in the morning, six o'clock, we moved the boat around to a running slip and we start taking on passengers. And at the time we were taking automobiles too. And we ferry them back and forth uh, to Manhattan. So at 8.30 on Tuesday morning, September 11th, we got underway from Staten Island. We had a, a pretty large uh, amount of people on board. You can imagine it's Tuesday morning, everybody's going into the city reporting to work. And uh, we usually pack the, uh, the boat with about 45 vehicles we can fit on, on the John F. Kennedy, which was my boat that morning. Um, about halfway across the harbor, I saw a huge fireball explosion over the battery. And I didn't see an airplane. I just saw a big fireball of an explosion above the battery. And it was so large that I thought it was might have been a helicopter collision because there's a heliport right next to the ferry terminal. And uh, I looked over at my lookout and I said, what was that? You know, and he goes, I don't know. And we see this debris. So I called the Coast Guard uh, Vessel Traffic Services in New York. And I say, uh, Vessel Traffic, this is uh, the ferry boat John F. Kennedy. I just saw a huge fireball explosion over the battery, uh, maybe a helicopter collision because I feared that I might be sailing into a debris field at this time. I was still uh, about two miles away from the tip of Manhattan. But as, uh, as the fire be uh, lingered in the sky, it became apparent that it was actually a huge fire in, the, in one of the Twin Towers, the North Tower. So I called the Coast Guard and I said, uh, US Coast Guard, this is uh, very about John F. Kennedy. I just saw a huge fireball explosion over the battery. It may be one of the Twin Towers. And the operator said, I got it. 
So I looked at my partner in the pilot house and I said, what does he mean I got it? And uh, so I said it a third time. There was a huge fireball explosion. It's definitely one of the Twin Towers. And he says, I have the camera on it. Now the vessel traffic services in New York, they have uh, cameras at strategic positions around New York Harbor. So they were able to get the camera onto the, uh, onto the Twin Tower. So at this time, I called the Whitehall Ferry Terminal. We sailed from St. George in Staten Island to Whitehall Terminal in Manhattan. And I asked the foreman on duty if he knew anything about a huge fire, a huge explosion at the Twin Tower. And he said he, he didn't. I said, well, look out the window. I said, there's a huge fire in one of the towers. And then somebody came back on the radio and said, oh, a plane had just struck the tower. So now we thought it was just a tragic accident. You know, we're looking at this big gaping hole. The, the passengers on the boat are getting distressed as we get closer and closer to it, as you can imagine. And we dock into Manhattan and we start offloading passengers. We offload all the vehicles. And as we're starting to take vehicles back on, um, this huge uh, air, airplane buzz comes over the pilot house. I wasn't looking to the south. I was looking into the terminal, so I never saw the plane coming, but the, we were buzzed. It was very loud. I literally, I literally spun around in the pilot house thinking that my pilot house was buzzed. And then um, somebody said that another plane just flew into the south tower. So now we're thinking, wow, this is, this is really bad. This is a, an accident. This is something that's, that's happening on purpose. At that time, the, the ferry behind me, the captain had radioed the Whitehall terminal and said that a sec, uh, the second tower was hit and that he was going to turn his boat around and bring his passengers back to Staten Island, which I think was a very wise decision. But at that point, I knew that I was going to be the last boat out of Manhattan that morning. So as, uh, as the second uh, plane hit the South Tower, uh, people just started running back to the boat in a panic. Already after nine o'clock, which was my scheduled departure time, uh, the mate uh, down below started blowing the whistle to the deckhands to close the gate because we're starting to receive a lot of people and it's time to get underway. But I, I yelled down to him that, um, you know, I said, Frank, something very bad is happening here. Uh, we're not leaving until we get everybody that wants to get on the boat has the opportunity to get on the boat. And that's what we did. We left about 9.15 that morning out of Whitehall, the last uh, scheduled ferry out of Whitehall, Manhattan on that morning. And we sailed back to Staten Island, which probably was a very uncomfortable trip for me because we didn't know the nature of the attacks. We didn't know if they were over. We moved out away from the terminal onto the deep water range, which is the range that guides you into the southern tip of Manhattan. And then we could see the full effect of both towers on fire. Um, so that's, that's how, uh, that's what I saw that morning of the attack. Uh, going onward into the day, uh, we made it back to Staten Island. We prepared to bring emergency services back to Manhattan. And while we were sitting in the slips in St. George, I was in the New York pilot house looking back at uh, the fires when the first tower actually collapsed. And we had a lot of uh, emergency service uh, personnel on board. So you heard this very audible gasp of, of horror, like, you know, just like, oh, you know, 
and you could hear me. It was just so loud. And um, we had to take that in. At first, the tower collapsed. It, it appeared to leave like a plume of, of smoke in its wake as it, as it collapsed to the ground. And then the dust settled into Manhattan, into New Jersey. And then the wind shifted it back across Manhattan. And we couldn't even see Manhattan Island at that point. It was, it was just a large amount of dust and debris. Uh, by the time that did clear up, this, we saw the second tower collapse, and you know that that was just the horror of the whole day. And the rest of the day was ferrying emergency services back and forth, and uh, you know just doing the best job we could to be a part of providing services into Manhattan and trying to take as many people off of Manhattan in return trips. So, uh, ferry service had been suspended, so uh, it was just a matter of who was in the terminal in Manhattan as each ferry arrived that we could get off of the island. A lot of people weren't that lucky. They got, they got pushed to the north of Manhattan. And a lot of people I heard walked home over the bridges and through the tunnels. How many, how many trips did you end up making back and forth? Well, we made, for the rest of the day, I started at 5.30 in the morning and I, I worked till 5.30 that evening. I, made several additional trips. I, I, I don't know what the exact count would be, but at least another five or six trips. Wow. Each round trip takes an hour. Wow, that's, yeah, I think we had a previous guest who talked about how it was one of the biggest uh, waterborne evacuations of all time. It is, there, there, there was a book that was printed. I have it right behind me right here. It says all available boats. Mm -hmm. And it goes into the details of, of what was the largest boat lift rescue operation in, in the history of at least New York Harbor, if not the world. You know, if you think about it, there was never really an event of that magnitude outside of Pearl Harbor, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a very profound event. Um, a lot of tugboats from the harbor, a lot of the water, the smaller water taxis and water ferries got involved, just taking people off the battery wall and getting them off of Manhattan Island. Yeah, and, and one, last, one last question. You had said that uh, you were packing everybody on who you could get on there. Like what's your normal passenger max and how many were you carrying that time? Well, the, the Ferry Kennedy can handle 3,400 people. It's a, oh. it's, a, it's a commuter ferry, it's a municipal ferry. It's not the largest capacity. The ferry boat Barberi and the ferry boat Newhouse can each seat 6,000 passengers, but they don't, they don't take vehicles. So um, yeah, we, we filled it up. There wasn't a, an empty seat on, on the ride out of Manhattan that morning. Wow, that's crazy. And if I had more than 3,400 people, then I had more than 3,400 people that morning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine checking tickets wasn't uh, high on the list of what was going on there. All right, Ashley, you are up. So Frank, I want to know a little bit more about the duration of like, so you got off at five o'clock, you had done multiple trips and I'm curious as to what it was like to, uh, the, I guess, proceeding days afterwards after everything yeah. had happened and like how maybe your, your position and, and what you were doing maybe had changed or just kind of like the, the feeling that uh, just kind of, you know, going back and forth to the Island and seeing all the people 
I'm just curious as to like how that progressed um, after in the following days of 9-11. Yeah, so ferry service was suspended for several weeks, a few months before normal ferry service was restored. As you can imagine, it, just Manhattan Island and the lower tip of Manhattan, it was very surreal. All that concrete dust settled and it almost gave like a snow dusting appearance to the whole landscape of, of Manhattan. Even on, on as the ferry arrives into the slips, there are pilings on, on each side of the ferry and they, they had dust caps on them. And all the, uh, the sewers in, in Lower Manhattan were packed with, with concrete dust. It was just an enormous amount of, of damage to the island. So it took a while for them to do a, just a basic cleanup to, to be able to allow people to, to enter the battery again. Uh, as the day progressed, we, uh, ferry service was suspended. We were uh, shuttling emergency services back and forth, mostly firemen uh, responding from their homes in Staten Island and, and from the firehouses and Coast Guard personnel. Uh, after the uh, collapse of the towers and, and ferry service was suspended, each uh, ferry boat was assigned Coast Guard personnel to augment our crew. And we made decisions like pulling out our, all of our fire hoses we weren't carrying passengers, so normally they would be stowed away, but we had them uh, out, uncoiled and on the ready in case you know there was another uh, such attack or if there was anything that we needed to do to, to uh, move into an emergency situation. Uh, the next couple of days, because again, we didn't have a ferry service, we were shuttling the National Guard and the Army back and forth from Governor's Island to the lower tip of Manhattan. I would go to work uh, as I would a normal day, 5.30. I would get underway with my boat. I would sail into Manhattan, whatever I needed to bring into Manhattan. Then I would, then I would go uh, a very short run between Governor's Island, which is just below the, the tip of Manhattan, and back to Manhattan Island as needed, not on a schedule, but mostly uh, the Army parked a lot of its vehicles on Governor's Island, and we were shuttling them back and forth. After, after we did uh, get ferry service restored, there was, there was another aspect of, you didn't see the same people anymore. So it, so it made you think, you know, maybe they just didn't have jobs to go to. Maybe they uh, perished in the, uh, in the events that happened. So we always wondered, you know, what, what happened to that one guy that used to get up to the front of the gate every morning that on that trip. And when the gates opened, he ran because the, the passengers would just run for the subway. You know, it was to get that seat. So sadly, we missed a lot of people. I lost a couple personal friends that day, which, uh, you know, I still think about. And um, what a joy in, uh, going forward when you did see somebody that you hadn't seen for a long time. And you say, oh, you know, I haven't seen that guy in a long time. You know, thank God, you know, he's, he's still around. Yeah. Wow. All right, Jeff, you are up. You kind of touched on what I was going to talk with you about because um, we heard a lot about <clears throat> your experience with, with your work, but you're also a New Yorker. So being a New Yorker, you had to have, uh, you had to have had some obviously really strong feelings and emotions about it, but you were also really busy. Like you had, 
you had a mission to you had a mission to accomplish. So, how did those two sides of you coexist during all of this? Yeah. So you know, we we had a a little bit of a, a motto amongst us ourselves as New York workers that we have a job to do. You know, there, there was still a purpose to get up and go to work every day to become part of this effort to try to restore normalcy. Um, having lost some personal friends that day, you know, that were working in the towers and trying to come to terms with the, the, the horrific nature of the collapse and, and, and all the people that felt like they could jump to their safety from, you know, hundreds of stories high. I mean, it, it, it was a very sad uh, thing to think about. So you tried not to really think about it, you know, but being a New Yorker, uh, getting up every day, doing your job. A lot of people say that they can't believe it was 20 years ago. I can believe it was 20 years ago. You know, it's been a long time between now and then. I think about things like um, our 20-year-old young men and women. Some people joining the military today weren't even alive when that event happened. That's what the time does to you, you know, the, the, the separation of time and an event. And, you know, it's... it's it, I feel good. You know, I, I retired from the ferry in 2011. And uh, now I work for the Department of Homeland Security as a member of the Vessel Traffic Services, the very uh, organization that I called that morning to report the, uh, the, the, the tragedy. But a lot of the servicemen and women that I'm working with today were, were not alive when the event actually happened. And, you know, I I used to find it very difficult to talk about 9-11, you know, in, in the first few years after the event, because I felt in telling it, I could tell it and I can remember things so vividly that it was, it was actually like reliving the experience. And I would feel a little distressed after that. But as time moved on, I realized that the young school children uh, who weren't alive during this event needed to hear the stories. And, and as eyewitnesses and first responders, we need to tell our stories and, and help never to forget, you know, exactly the events that happened that day. And hopefully we will never forget and we become a stronger nation as we move forward. Thank you. Yeah. That, uh... And we're, we're trying to get all the pieces of the sort of the 9-11 puzzle uh, from everybody that saw it all the way through, you know, what happened. And I think this this provides a, a great story because it, it had to have been tough as you're doing what's essentially your regular job. But you do have the hour long trip over the water and you're going directly at what you can still see is smoldering and everything else. That had to have been pretty emotional every day. Just just a kind of a tough thing to do. Yeah, we, we wondered amongst ourselves, was, was this what the general feeling was during Pearl Harbor? You know, you know how do you come to grips when, when you see this total devastation happening before your eyes? But Pearl Harbor was a, a totally different event. You know, you had uh, airplane attack after airplane attack after airplane attack. This was a quick, you know, sort of like a quick hit. You know, it was over in a day, but it took months to recover and years to recover, actually. Um, so there's no comparison, really, but certainly the magnitude of the emotions had to be the same. 
And, um, you know, th these are the things we thought about, you know, how, how can we, how can we become a part of something that's going to help us return to normalcy? Yeah. Well, Frank, we, we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story with us. And obviously we appreciate your continuing service through the American Legion and as department commanders, you got any sort of final thoughts for us? Well, you know, uh, I think, I, like I said, thinking about feelings during the day, I think what, what helped me um, keep my uh, greater emotions in check and perform as well as I did and to be a, a strong leader for my crew was the military bearing that I got serving in the Navy. You know, a very, very strong part of, of who I was that day, the leader I've become and, and the captain I was and you know, I'm just glad to have served my country and, and to possibly have been in the right place at the right time on that day. Absolutely. Well, Frank, thank you for your time. Every, everyone else, remember to subscribe to Tango Alpha Lima on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find podcasts. While you're there, review and rate us. And if you want to send us feedback, you can comment on YouTube or Facebook, or you can send us an email at tangoalphalima at legion.org. Uh, Jeff, Ashley, I will see you tomorrow. Mr. Peters, thank you again for your service both on that day and your continuing service to America. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. All right. Everyone else, Thanks, we'll Frank. see you tomorrow. Bye. 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 Bye.